that. Mark chapter 10, once you have found that, if you can and you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 10 will be in verse 42, down through verse 45, and we'll read responsively. I'll begin in 42, and we'll read together uh, verses 43 and 45. The Bible says in verse 42, But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. Together, 43, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We're looking at this, uh, this topic all May long, uh, the construction of the Christian home as part of Family Month. And we've looked at um, three other installments on this topic of constructing a Christian home, three other sermons. The fourth sermon this morning is entitled this, A Serving Home. A Serving Home. A Home Filled with Servants. Verse 45 says that Jesus did not come to be ministered to, but to minister. If Jesus is not looking for people to serve Him hand and foot, then who are we to require others to serve us hand and foot? Jesus was the servant of all servants. If the king of the world can dip himself low and serve and I think all of us probably can do that as well. Amen? We're going to look at this topic of being a servant within our home today and talk about constructing a Christian home. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to take the truths not only into our heads but into our hearts. Lord, my goal every time I preach is to take Christian theory and help these people turn it into Christian living. So, Lord, help me to do my part to convey these truths in such a way that will entice them to want to do so. But, Lord, at the end of the day, it's up to each individual to leave and live it. So, Lord, as James constructed the church of Jerusalem, help us not to just be hearers, but doers. Thank you for giving us a book that's so relative to everyday living. Help us to live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we, um, we have begun some uh, minor construction here at the church. Recently, uh, the church hired Brother Reginald Needle sitting over here to do some hourly work for us. And we uh, are uh, putting a wall up upstairs to expand the classroom and make it a little bit bigger. And now all of you are curious. Please don't leave the auditorium and run upstairs. Amen. You, you see it at some point. Um, but Brother Reggie is very capable and qualified at doing uh, this particular project. And so I put him in my, my car, and we rode down to Home Depot. And if you're going to do a project like this, you need some tools. And so we piled a bunch of tools in the shopping cart. We went to the checkout, and I was in a little bit of sticker shock at just how expensive tools are. Amen, Brother Vara? Uh, you've got your share. You've had to buy your share. And tools are expensive. Um, how many of you have found that if you don't have the right tool, then a job becomes a whole lot harder? 
How many of you have discovered that? Right? Um, I have, uh, my wife has found me very, very frustrated doing projects around the house. And I'll uh, call someone like a Mike Vara or a Reggie Nito or someone like that and, and I'll explain my frustration to them and they'll say, well, you know, the problem is that you're using the wrong tool. And I'll go and I'll get the right tool and all of a sudden what was frustrating and hard becomes simple and easy. All because I had the right tool. And what I try to do during family month is I try to give you new tools in your proverbial Christian toolbox to help you to execute a Christian home. You see, if you try to build a Christian home with non-Christian tools, at best you'll be frustrated, at worst you'll fail miserably, and you'll give up and quit. For a Christian to build a Christian home, he has to put the right tools in his tool bag. So all May long, we have looked at these different topics of constructing a Christian home. The first sermon we preached, and I'm not going to go back and re-preach any of these, but just list them off for you. The first sermon we looked at, or first topic we looked at, was a spiritual home. We talked about laying down the foundation of salvation and uh, uh, putting in place an environment that encourages your children uh, to put their own faith and trust in Christ. Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at a stable home. We talked about the importance of being consistent within your home. Well, we're going to look at this topic of being a servant. And I have to tell you that a lot of moms and dads and a lot of children, uh, a lot of husbands and wives are frustrated because they want a Christian home, but they don't feel like they have one. And the biggest reason is because they don't have a culture of servanthood within the home. And I'll just say this up front. If you are a dad, husband here today, it begins with you. If your children don't act like servants, there's a good chance you don't act like a servant. If you're a single mother or a single father today, then that would begin with you. You must teach your children how to serve, and then you must expect your children to carry forth that mantra. Let's jump in this morning and let's look at this tool in our Christian tool bag of servanthood. Notice point number one of the message, the pleasure we seek. The pleasure we seek. And when I use that word pleasure today, I mean in every sense the G-rated version of the word, the pleasure we seek. The truth is, all of us seek pleasure. America is drunk on pleasure. Uh, On a Saturday, on any given fall, maybe not this fall, but on a Saturday, on any given fall, uh, you can find a college football stadium with 120,000 people who have gathered for the sake of pleasure. They want to watch a football game. They want to eat their hot dog and eat their nachos and drink their soda. And they want to cheer on their team. On a Sunday with an NFL game, 50, 60, 70,000 fans pack into a stadium for pleasure. Uh, 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 Folks go fishing for pleasure. Folks go hunting for pleasure. Uh, Folks go paintballing for pleasure. Folks, ladies, go shopping for pleasure, because real men don't shop. They buy. Amen? Um, uh, there is pleasure. We seek pleasure. Can I tell you that the reason why I got married is I was looking for a companion to walk through life with me because I wanted the 
pleasure of being a married man. Uh, you ladies that are married here today, you married your husband because you wanted in part the pleasure of being a married woman. Um, uh, my wife and I, after about a year and a half of being married, we made the decision that we were going to try to start having children. And Shortly thereafter, we found out that Angela was expecting Matthew. And praise God, right away we started trying and God gave us a baby. And uh, Matthew came along and we had a son because we wanted the pleasure of being parents. And uh, a year and a half after Matthew was born, April came along and God gave us the pleasure again of being a, a father and mother to a little girl. And we seek pleasure. Uh, most of what we do, we want Pleasure, and so, my friend, today I would tell you that um, uh, uh, that there's nothing wrong with wanting the goal of having pleasure in life. But have you found yourself feeling less than pleasure in marriage? Have you found yourself less than pleasure of being a parent? Have you found yourself in a place of less than pleasure of being a child in a home or a brother or a sister? And listen, if you're here today and you don't have a family that you go home to, these truths that I'm going to cover apply to your work environment. They apply to your friendships. They apply to your adult parents or your adult children or your grandchildren. And you can take these truths and put them into play. We seek pleasure. Some of you are thinking, well, pastor, I didn't get a job for reasons of pleasure. I got a job because I have need money to pay the bills. I understand that. But in almost every work environment, there are relationships and those can either be pleasurable relationships or they can be unpleasurable relationships. So all the same, we seek pleasure. Letter A, notice the outcome of selfishness, the outcome of selfishness. Can I tell you that uh, most folks go about seeking pleasure the wrong way. The wrong way. A, hus- or a husband will say, I deserve a weekend out with, my, with the boys. And I'm going to take a trip out with the boys. And I've earned this. I have earned this right. Ladies will uh, take a weekend away with the girls or even several hours away out shopping. And there is nothing wrong, per se, with these things on their own. But this attitude that can permeate a relationship of me first, me first. I have to be out in front. I have to have my way. Serve me. Serve me. I need to serve myself. And I need you to serve me Boy, when we chase pleasure through that median, what we find is that pleasure eludes us. Pleasure escapes us. Here in Mark chapter 10, we find James and John who are brothers. They are two of Jesus' twelve disciples, and they are acting in a way that is very selfish. Look with me at verse number 35 of Mark chapter 10. The Bible says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master... We would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Can I put that in terms that we understand today? They were saying, Jesus, will you please be the genie in our bottle? We want to ask you for a wish, and we want you to grant it to us. Look at verse 36. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? Then said they said unto him, Grant us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. Now, I wonder why James and John pulled Jesus off to the side to ask him this and did not ask him this in front of the other disciples. 
I think we know why. Because a little bit later down in the passage, we find that the disciples are angry at James and John. How dare you try to muscle your way ahead of us? And this is where we get the truth, where Jesus said, look, I didn't come here to to have you serve me. I came here to serve. I came here to give my life a ransom for many. And, and, and these men are being selfish in their request. And what does it cause? It causes division. It causes strife. It causes animus between James and John and the other ten disciples. I have found that in my marriage, when I act in a way that is selfish... It causes problems. I have found with my children, when I act in a way toward them that is selfish, it causes problems. I can remember back to being a child. And we have children in the room today. Uh, when I say children, I mean those under 18 still living at home. Uh, I can remember being the oldest of seven children. And you know, in my house, if you laid back... You just got ran over. I, I can remember at the dinner table, my mom would put the food out for the nine of us to eat, and you had to suck it down like a vacuum cleaner if you wanted seconds. Because that those seconds weren't going to last very long. A preacher went to a, a home. Um, uh, a guest preacher was uh, uh, invited over to home after church, and the mom and dad had six children, and um, uh, they fried chicken was served that day, homemade fried chicken, and the um, uh, there was there was just enough fried chicken for everyone to have one piece, and then on the plate in the middle of the table there was one more piece of fried chicken, and the preacher is eating that fried chicken, and man, it, it's just amazing, it's delicious, and he's thinking to himself, boy, I'd really like to have that last piece of fried chicken, and he's looking around the table at the other six kids, and they're devouring theirs, and he can see what's going on. There's a competition to see who can finish first, so they can request that chicken, and so the preacher's trying to be polite to the, the guest host there, and he's eating as quickly as he can, and just about the time he's done with that piece of chicken, and the other kids are approaching being done with that chicken, the power goes out in the house, and it's pitch black in the dining room, and so he reaches out to get that piece of chicken while the lights are out, and the next thing you hear are, are, is him screaming with six forks stuck in his hand. selfishness, that competitiveness amongst the kids, and uh, uh, children who are always trying to one-up each other. Children that are... And listen, when you have that environment in your home, you feel anything but pleasure within the home. The outcome of selfishness... Let's look at letter B. The outcome of selflessness. Selflessness. This is an attitude that says, you first, me second. You first, me second. The outcome... Of selflessness. Boy, you show me a home filled with folks who are trying to serve each other. You show me a home with folks who are busy loving each other, being deferential toward each other. You show me a workplace where the boss defers to the employees and the employees defer to the boss. You show me a workplace where the employees even defer to each other and they're not worried about their own. They're worried about the best of everyone else. You show me a brother who's looking out for the best for the rest of his siblings or a sister who's constantly looking to promote their siblings and cheer on their siblings. I, I watch his report cards come into my home and I watch as my children uh, uh, what they're, how they're going to respond when the other one does well. How do you respond when your brother or sister makes better grades than you? How do you respond when your brother or sister gets a treat out of the pantry or refrigerator that you're not invited to? 
How do you respond at work, sir or ma'am, when your coworker, who is your peer, who was hired about the same time you did, gets the promotion and you don't? Boy, are you envious of them? Or are you selfless toward them? How do you respond, husband, when your wife uh, is rewarded in some way or uh, has a pleasure that you don't get? Uh, how do you respond, ma'am, when your husband is promoted? Uh, uh, listen, I've seen men who are praised uh, uh, publicly only to get in the car and have their wife bring them back down to size. You know what that is? That's selfishness. That's not an attitude of being a servant. The outcome of selflessness. If you fill a home filled with people who are constantly looking to serve each other, constantly looking to promote each other, constantly looking to put others ahead of themselves, boy, what you have is a home filled with pleasure. Hate has four letters, so does love. Friends has seven letters, so does enemies. Negative has eight letters, so does positivity. Under has five, so does above. Cry has three letters, so does joy. Anger has five letters, so does happy. Right has five letters, so does wrong. Hurt has four letters, so does heal. Boy, one group of words falls under selfishness. The other group of words falls under selflessness. Boy, if there's that constant competitive cutting down spirit within your home, that pleasure is fleeting. That pleasure is not found. Why? Because you're selfish, not selfless. Number one, the pleasure we seek. Notice point number two, the person we serve. The person we serve. Turn your Bibles with me over to Matthew chapter 25. If you're in Mark, put a marker there for me. Uh, in Mark 10. I was going to say pun not intended, but I used that pun at 8.30, so it was intended. Um, Matthew chapter 25, put a mark in Mark, amen? Matthew chapter 25 and verse number 34. And let's read down through verse number 40. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Matthew 25, verse 36. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? Look at verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Now, I'm not going to take the time and break down Matthew chapter 25 in the setting here and give you the interpretation of the passage, but I will give you an application of the passage. When you serve others, you serve the Lord. Husbands, when you serve your wife, it's not really your wife that you're serving, it's the Lord. Wives, when you go out of your way and you serve your husband and your children, you're not really serving them, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been in church for my entire life, all 36 years, and in my 36 years of, uh, of, of being in church, I've seen a lot of 
folks come and go, come and go, come and go. But beyond just coming and going from the pew, I've seen a lot of people come and go and they've left because they've been miffed. They've been upset. And the reason in part for that is that they volunteered around the church. Now, I've been in churches where folks would volunteer and the pastor, every time someone volunteered to do anything, he would recognize them from the pulpit. He would have them stand. He would have everyone applaud. He'd make a big deal out of them. I've been in other churches where the pastor never recognizes really anybody for doing anything. I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I'd say I'm probably fall more toward the middle where in some circumstances I'll honor people for or uh, volunteering around the church, but normally that's uh, uh, not what we do. But I've seen people come and go who are volunteers, they leave miffed, and the reason why they're miffed is because they never get any recognition for what they do. They, they vacuumed a carpet and no one ever patted them on the back. They, they uh, worked the bus route, they uh, helped in the nursery, they um, uh, taught a life group or Sunday school class, and no one ever recognized them. And they eventually were discouraged or upset by that, and they quit, and in some cases, even left the church. How do you make it the long run in church ministry by volunteering and not getting upset? Can I tell you how? Listen, if you're vacuuming the carpet for me, eventually you're going to be disappointed in me. But if you're vacuuming the carpet for the Lord Jesus Christ... You don't need me to say anything because you're vacuuming it for Him. You with me? How many understand this concept when it comes to church? You know the same concept applies at home? Now, us men, we like our recognition. We like our praise. You ladies will wash the dishes a hundred times a week. Maybe not quite that many, but it feels that way, doesn't it? And um, your husband comes home And he washes the dishes once. And if you don't say something to him, within about ten minutes, hey, uh, I washed the dishes. Hey, you know, I vacuumed the carpet for you. I swept the floor. And you're thinking, so what? I do it all the time. But he needs you to walk up to him and say, good job, honey. I'm so proud of you. Hey, how about, sir, you serve... And don't look for any praise. Every man shall proclaim his own glory, Proverbs tells us, but a faithful man who can find. You know, um, I run everything in my house. I mean, I run everything. I am large in charge. I'm definitely large, but I'm in charge. Amen? I run the dishwasher. I run the vacuum cleaner. I run the washing machine. I run everything. That's actually not true. Angela runs the show. Amen? She runs all those things. Do you know what happens at my house if the dishwasher quits working? I get slapped. That's what happens. Amen? I'm the dishwasher. I get slapped. Amen? You guys okay? You awake? Y'all are the 11 o'clock crowd. You're supposed to be awake. I guess that was just a bad joke. Um, uh, But um, Pastor Ross, you told me these jokes would work. And they failed. See what happens when I... The person we serve. Let me quickly give you an A and a B, and I'm, I won't dwell on A. We'll, we'll hit A and move on. Letter A is our actions. Our actions. You know, the actions of being a servant. What are the actions of being a servant at home? Now, in our home, 
in our home, please listen closely, in our home, there are a set of things that I do, right? I, in my home, and I know every home's different, but in my home, in our home, I am the breadwinner. I bring the, the larger of the paychecks home, and Angela has a little side business that brings in a little bit of money uh, to help out and, and, and be a buffer to help us, but I'm bringing in the larger paycheck, so I am the provider of the home, and, and then I come home, and there are some things I do to help her uh, that I am sort of uh, uh, in the schedule or routine of doing. And Angela has her set of things that she does and is expected of her, and the children have their chores, and they have their things they're expected to do. What does it mean to be a servant? It means that occasionally I'm going to step up and I'm going to do something for someone else in my family that is not on my list. I'm going to do something that falls under their category. Our actions. Husbands, you need to serve your wives. Wives, you need to serve your husbands. Uh, Children, you need to serve your parents. And parents, you need to serve your children. I'm going to encourage you to write some questions down this morning that you're going to answer later. And write down the questions that apply to you. Now, if you're a grown, a single adult who no longer lives with your parents, there is still a question for you to write down, and that would be in regards to your parents, given that they're still alive. Question number one is this. And again, only write down the questions that apply to you and answer them later. Question number one is this. If, let's see. I had the questions in my head at 8.30. Now they're escaping me. All right. The wording of it. Okay, here we go. Um, uh, How does a husband serve his wife? That's the question for the husbands. How does a husband serve his wife? And sir, if you don't know, ask your wife. She'll tell you. Amen. Um, The second question, how does a wife serve her husband? Wives, write that question down. How does a wife serve her husband? I'm giving you some homework. I want you to take some time. To think about this, because here's what happened. We come to church and we hear a sermon like this and it goes in one ear and out the other and we don't go home and put anything into practice. So I want you to tangibly write some things down, men and women, husbands and wives, that you can put into practice to actively serve each other. All right. Um, Dads, how does a father serve his children? And that's going to change depending on what age group your children fall in. Moms, how does a wife serve her children? Now, when you serve your children, that doesn't mean you let them run you over and call the shots. You're still the authority. But God will show you ways you can serve your children. Um, uh, to the brothers and sisters in the room, if you have a brother or sister at home, write this question down. I mean it. Parents, it's fine to make your children write these down and answer them later. Um, to the brothers, how, how, how does a brother serve his siblings? How does a sister serve her siblings? And then lastly, children. And this would apply to all the children, whether you're at home or grown. How do children serve their parents? You see, we put expectations as children on our parents. And when they don't meet those expectations, we're upset. We're disappointed. Maybe if you served them more, your heart would be a little more tender their direction. And listen, we could take this further. How, uh, how do grandparents serve their grandchildren? How do grandchildren serve their grandparents? You get the point. You figure out the relationships in your life. Our actions. Let her be notice our attitude. Our attitude. You know that you can do the right thing with the wrong spirit. There have been times in our marriage where Angela has done something that's upset me. And... 
or I've done something that's upset her, usually it's me doing things that upset her because I can be insensitive at times. I'm just being very honest. But she'll do things that upset me. And my way of getting back at her is that I'll go around the house and I'll do her housework, but I'll do it with the wrong spirit. I'm ironing a shirt. I'm ironing a shirt. And I'm washing the dishes and I'm clanking dishes around. You know, I'm not really serving her. And I may be serving her, but I'm not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Because my spirit is wrong. There have been other times, I'm just telling myself here, where I have done laundry, or I have uh, washed dishes, or I have swept the floor, and I've done it in a loving way, but I've done it with ulterior motives. I've not done it just to be a servant. I've done it because I'm, I have other motives in mind. And God says, no, you're to have the right actions and the right attitude. Why? Because when I serve my family, please listen to this. When I serve my family, I am serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one I'm trying to serve. Number three, and lastly, the position we gain. Go back to Mark chapter 10, verse number 42. i wrap this up right here. Verse 42 says, But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, speaking of the Romans, exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. It's a ride roughshod over attitude. Verse 43, But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and uh, whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Many people are worried about position. Many people are worried about their status. Many people are worried about climbing the ladder, whether that's within a corporation or at home. You know, Jesus says if you want to be the greatest, then you need to be a minister. Jesus said if you want to be the chiefest, you need to be a servant. Jesus said if you want to be first, then go to the back of the line. When I was a teenage boy, I uh, used to conduct something called backyard Bible clubs. We'd get, get a group of kids and put them under the tree. And um, we'd teach them a Bible story, sing some songs with them. And at the very end, we would give them candy. So I had this big bag of, of candy. And I would say, all right, kids, line up to get your candy. Single file line. And the big, strong, aggressive kids would push their way to the front. And the meek kids would end up in the back of the line. And so I would stand there, and the kids would all jostle for position in front of me. Me first, me first, selfishly pushing their way to the front. And then once they were all in a line, I would say to the kids, I'd say, okay, everybody turn around and face the other direction. And I would walk to what had been the back of the line, and I would give the kids that were in the back of the line, had been in the back of the line, the candy first. And that's how it works with God. We jostle our way and push our way to the front. How about we serve each other? Because the greatest among us will be the servant of all. It begins with you, sir. Single mom, it begins with you. But then you must teach your children to be servants to their siblings. Hey, you have sons and daughters at home. Teach your boys to honor their sisters. 
Teach your boys to defer to their sisters. Teach your daughters to defer to each other. Let's have a home filled with servants. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, would you work in all of our hearts this morning? Thank you, Jesus, for being the servant of all. Leaving heaven's throne, coming to earth, becoming one of us. Lord, dying in our place. Suffering so we could be set free. Lord, you went to the back of the line of all of humanity. You stood behind the worst sinner. And Lord, died for everyone in front of you so we could all have eternal life. And oh God, how thankful we are for that. Help us, Lord, to follow that example. Lord, give us homes that are filled with servants. Give us workplaces that are filled with servants. Give us a country that are filled with servants. And Lord, help it to begin right here with those in this room. Lord, thank you for the Bible, how it's so applicable to everyday living. Help us to go forth and live what we've heard in Jesus' name.